0: Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan with Senior Housing News. In this episode, we're talking with Dwayne Clark, founder and CEO of Aegis Living, a Bellevue, Washington-based senior living operator with 32 communities across the U.S. As leader of the company, Clark has pushed for new innovation in senior housing design and programming. He's also focused on hiring leaders from outside the industry. In fact, Clark told me that Aegis makes it a practice not to hire general managers from industry competitors. Dwayne Clark is also the author of a new book, 30 Summers More, which chronicles his globe-trotting search for the keys to longevity and health. Before we hear that interview, I'd like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge design and excellence in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. We're looking to celebrate unique projects, including both new development and rehab, that are improving the lives of seniors through innovative design. If you think you have a project that fits the description and are looking to showcase it, visit shnawards.com. Project submissions are open until October 31st. And now, my conversation with Dwayne Clark, founder and CEO of Aegis Living. So, Dwayne, I know that Aegis likes communities with themes. To date, you've done a project inspired by a ski lodge. You've done Italian-themed communities. You've done multicultural communities. So I'm curious, how do you come up with the various themes, and why do you choose them? Well, it's a great question. You know, I think
1: uh, assisted living, retirement homes, independent living, I think we've been quite boring with our design. And, you know, the interesting thing that that I've noticed that people really want is that they want a little entertainment in their architecture. They want a, they want thematic kind of, you know, identities in these things. And so I travel a lot. You know, I've been to, I think, 83 countries now and I love staying at great hotels. And usually great hotels have some kind of thematic design, especially great five star boutique hotels. And, you know, sometimes they're. You know, I I have a hotel that I stay at in Capri, and it's the room that I stay at is all done on a theme of Pan Am and Pan Am airplanes. So they have Pan Am airplanes and stewardess's hats and pilot's uniforms and everything. I stay there because it's fun. You know, it, it makes the experience fun. And so that's one of the reasons we do it. The other reasons we do it is we try to fit things in to the neighborhood that has some meaning. For instance, you know, on Queen Anne in Seattle, we built a project and we put our whole faux Pike Pike Street market in it. So it looks like you're going in the marketplace in downtown Seattle. Well, there's a connection with that neighborhood and and the market. And so it brings back these great memories of joy. We just opened a project on Mercer Island and it has, you know, ski lodges, it has an old Chris craft in the memory care courtyard. Well, the people on Mercer Island are big boaters and big skiers. And so, again, we wanted to have these people feel like these were some of their highest, you know, best moments of their life in terms of bringing joy into their life. So part of it is inspired by the fact that, you know, I've traveled and I have a lot of personal fun. I thought, well, why why can't our residents have that kind of fun? And part of it is making a connection with the neighborhood in which we're building and operating in.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting that you would mention that sometimes you find senior living communities to be a little bit boring. I'm curious. I can see how they'd seem dull against the backdrop of some of these really colorful ageist communities. But are there some aspects of senior living today that you find boring? And what are they?
1: Well, I think anytime you present a clinical environment, no one is jonesing to go there. I mean, you know, that's why nursing homes fell out of favor, right? It's because, you know, no one wants to go to a nursing home. No one wants to stay in a hospital for a week, you know, and have the PA system blaring, you know, lights on all the time. You get up and you're walking on cold, you know, linoleum floors. You That's just not comfortable. And so we tend to build, you know, ages communities more like five-star hotels and less like clinical settings. And it's just a common sense thing. You don't you don't want to be in a clinical setting because you're essentially telling yourself I'm sick. And you know when we went from nursing homes to assisted living, the mindset was oh you know people are not supposed to nursing homes were never invented to, to have people stay there two or three years. They they were originally invented to be post op centers, right? Where people go after surgery. I mean that that's the whole history of nursing homes. Well, then when assisted living was created, we said, oh, well, we're just going to build a different flavor of nursing homes clinically and architecturally, but people are going to stay here longer. I think ages has gone kind of two more steps. We've said, no, we have to be at a level that people are not only comfortable, but they're pleasantly surprised. I mean, we have wine lockers for people to have their own personalized wine locker in our dining room that has their name and a little bronze plaque and so on. Well, that's that's cool. People like that, you know. Maybe I'm assisted living. Doesn't mean I don't like to drink wine. And if my doctor says it's great, I'm going to drink wine. So, you know, it's it's those little touches. And you know, we go to a different level of detail uh, than most. And I want to I want to bring you back to to this concept of of moments of joy. Sure. Because think about it when we when we age. You know, I mean, I'm 60 years old now, and I'm, I feel like I'm aging. But you know, as we age, if we constantly feel like there's things being taken away from us. You know, you can't run like you used to. You can't work out like you used to. You can't eat like you used to. You don't sleep as well. You there's constantly things taken away from us. And what I what I try to do is say, what can I give back to these people? Where can I plug into their psyche? That when they see that, they're going to smile or they're going to reminisce in a positive way. And let me give you a really micro example of that. So we have movie theaters, right? Not Mm -hmm. not a big innovative concept. You know, a lot of retirement homes build nursing, uh, build movie theaters. So it's not an innovative. So, but we go beyond that. We build a box office, just like you're going up to the ticket booth. And we we build a marquee, but we even go further than that. We have a concession stand, right? Now, everybody said, well, that's not that innovative. Okay, well, here's what's innovative. We have gone to the candy makers and we said, we want the candy wrapped in the same wrappings that they had when our residents were seven years old. So essentially 75 years ago, we we want the packaging to look the same as it did 75 years ago. And there's a company that does that. And so why do we do that? Because when we, when our residents see that candy, they're like, oh my God, that's the sugar babies that I used to buy exactly in the same packaging as when I was seven years old. And my dad took me to that, to Gone with the Wind. And that brings back such a great memory for me. Yeah, That's the distinction between the level of detail that we go to and everybody else.
0: You hired Chris Inscove and two other employees this year from Starbucks. It seems like they've been a good fit so far. So I'm curious, are there any more Starbucks hires on the way? And what is it about Starbucks that you think makes employees that are a good fit for Aegis? Well, first of all, I think Chris Inscoves
1: is, is an incredible, you know, president. I'm I'm fortunate to have him. And, you know, keep in mind this is a guy that oversaw 30,000 employees. He was president of Starbucks North America. They oversaw 30,000 employees, 19 billion, billion in revenue. You know, he also was Clinton's under press secretary, was Clinton's top aide. So, I mean, he's, he's had an incredible career. But beyond that, he's such a great cultural fit. And, you know, one of the reasons, he was at Starbucks for 15 years, which is quite unusual, actually, and so, you know, I think any time a person is at a company that long, they're going to have their own following, their own tribe, their own connections with people at Starbucks. But beyond Starbucks, it, you know, I've known Howard Schultz since 1998. My first book I wrote on the industry called Help Wanted. I, Howard was interviewed for it in 1999. So my history with Starbucks goes back a long, long ways. What I want people to know. I'm writing a book now. My next book is called The Seattle Secret. That's the working title. People don't understand Seattle and its service industry and the companies that were founded here. I mean, Starbucks was founded here. Costco was founded here. Nordstrom's was founded here. Boeing was founded here. Amazon was founded here. Microsoft was founded here. Zillow was founded here. REI was founded here. Paccar was founded here. I mean, I could keep going. Eddie Bauer, I can just go down the list. So, you know, it's a very innovative, entrepreneurial, service oriented town. And because of that, you know, you have very innovative leaders and you have very innovative managers. So, you know, from the very first day I started Aegis, actually, before the very first day when I was writing the business plan for Aegis. I knew what I wanted to do was to hire people from outside the industry. And, you know, I will tell you, most of our general managers come from four seasons from Ritz-Carlton, from Marriott, from Mandarin Oriental, from one and only, you know, those those kinds of companies. And, you know, we don't hire anyone as a general manager into, you know, our company from an, an industry competitor. We just don't. In fact, about a year ago, you know, my staff challenged me, and said, Dwayne, you know, maybe it's time we go back to the industry. We have a vice president position open. Let's hire the best recruiter in the country. Let's have, you know, a vice president of operations come in from outside the industry. Well, over six months, we probably interviewed, I don't know, 15 candidates. I don't think one of them got to me, to my level. And every one of the 15 candidates for vice president, Everybody said they couldn't. They wouldn't be in our top five GM candidates. So I just think our managers are so superior. Now we we pay them a lot of money. They they get a profit sharing bonus plan. I mean they make a lot of money, w- way more than the average manager. But it's what we do to, to attract the best. It, so I call it I call it the making of the quilt. And if you just if you just picture a patchwork quilt. And each of the patches represent a different company. So one patch may be Amazon, one patch may be Starbucks, one patch may be Nordstrom's, one patch may be Costco, one patch may be Four Seasons. That's, that's our company. That, that quilt is our company. And so if I were to tell you my top chiefs in every department, our chief people officer was the head of Amazon Workplace. Our chief marketing officer was the number two person at Nordstrom's. Our president, president of Starbucks North America. Our chief financial officer was the head of investments at the Gates Foundation. Our vice president of sales was the head of Levi doctor sales department. You know, those are not your typical people that you'll have in assisted living running a company. And I think that's our essence. That's what makes us unique, better, more sophisticated is it was, it was what creates a value and why, why we're able to charge the most, why our margins are the best. All that's not by accident, it's by design.
0: I know that you all recently founded a program called Aegis U. So, Duane, if you could describe for our listeners at home exactly what Aegis U is and why it was important to start a program like that.
1: Well... Uh, aegis universities are our our training development academy and obviously you know if you're in a metro area in the united states your unemployment is probably going to be less than three and a half percent at seattle it's about three percent you know san francisco about the same los angeles about 3.2 san diego about the same and those are the markets that we're in las vegas is a little higher we're there as well but if you're in a major metro market you can't find employees we're hiring a 1,000 employees over the next four or five years. We don't know where they're going to come from. And so what we recognize is, first of all, we have to be very, very creative about where we get employees. Second of all, we've got to train our employees better than anyone. And third, we have to create a development, people development pipeline that's better than anyone else because that's how you get people to stay, right? You create these... These pathways of upward mobility for them that gets people to stay. That's aspirational. And yes, you may be hired in as a care manager that's making thirty thousand dollars a year, but you know you, you can go to a med tech in two years and that's forty-five thousand dollars a year. And then maybe you can become a care director and that's sixty thousand dollars a year. And then you can become you know a director of operation and that's one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. And You may go to a GM and, you know, a GM that's fully bonus could make $300,000 a year. We've actually had people, one of our managers in California, went that exact career path and that's
0: her exact story. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your new book, 30 Summers More. You sort of describe a health scare that led to a kind of wake-up call for you. So what happened that led to the wake-up call and... How did you change after that?
1: Yeah, well, I've always been a hard charger. I mean, you know, from my days in high school where I was an athlete to, you know, my days as a businessman, I've always been a hard charger and gone at life very, very hard. And, you know, I'm the typical type A personality. And about five, maybe six years ago now, five or six years ago, I had a retreat at my house, uh, our summer house on, the, in the, Whidbey islands, just off Seattle. And all my top executives were there. And, you know, a lot of the guys are younger than me and we have a gym in the house. And so we're working out and I'm trying to keep up with these guys and I'm lifting heavy weights and I'm going at it. And, you know, and then I'm popping, you know, four to six Advil a day. And, you know we're and at night we're eating bad and drinking wine and having desserts and you know all kinds of things so you know you're, we're living kind of hard and i come home from that retreat and the first night i'm home i get up in the middle of the night and not to get too graphic but i have a bleed and it won't stop so i go to the hospital they admit me they say hey you're going to have to have emergency surgery and i said well i'd like to wait 24 hours and see if we can stop this bleed Fortunately, the bleed stopped, and my, you know, I went to the Mayo Clinic. They wanted to take out 18 inches of my colon, and you know, I said, "Well, while I was in the hospital, I asked my wife to bring this manuscript that I just started, probably three or four months before, and said I'd like to work on, you know, my manuscript while I'm laying here in the hospital." And I'd started this book thinking I'm going to chronicle the lives of, you know, I've, I've cared or been in charge of caring for over 60,000 people that I'm going to write about their lives. And as I was reading this, I thought, wait a minute, I don't know if this is fortuitous or this is my wake up call, but this is more about people like me that are hard charging that, you know, in the middle of their life, they need to to do something different. And so I started to write the book differently and went on a quest to, you know, find the best practices of longevity around the world. And through myself and all kinds of testing and so on, some crazy things that I did, from hyperbaric chambers to you know having crazy treatments done on me in Africa. I mean, all kinds of crazy things because I really wanted to come back and say I've, I've tried a lot of things myself, and this is what's worked. And you know, it took me over five years to write the book. I wrote it with uh, with our chief medical officer, who's since retired. She's a triple board certified MD and a PhD, and I probably spent over 3,000 hours of research personally on it myself to come to the conclusions that I did. And it changed my life. I mean, I'm, that, that is not exaggeration. I mean, I've lost almost 50 pounds since started writing the book. You know, I work out differently. I meditate one to two times a day for 20 minutes each time. I eat totally different. I process stress differently. I watch different shows on television. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on about the changes in my life that I've made. My labs are almost perfect. I used to be on asthma medication, uh, cholesterol medication, high blood pressure medicine. I'm on none of those. So dramatically affected my life and I think brought more creativity and energy than I've ever had before. And, and the book has done wonderful. The, I just got back from a PR tour in New York City last week. I was you know, on Fox News and a variety of networks talking about the book. It was, it, it, uh, it was an Amazon bestseller in two days. I think I'm leading. I just saw a report yesterday where I'm a, I'm a top book for longevity, a top book for energy, uh, aging, a top book for exercise the best new gift book out there. And it's the best new release. I was leading in five, five categories.
0: Wow. All of these insights that you learned while traveling the world, looking for the best ways to age, they seem like they'd be very useful to employ in ageist communities. And so I'm curious how much of this, if any of it, has made it into what you all do for the residents who live in your communities. Well, it's a good question, and it's insightful of you to pick up on that because
1: two issues. One, I want to make the lives of my staff better. And so, you know, tomorrow night I'm teaching a meditation class to 40 people. But we're going to have weekly health tips to our staff. We're giving out books to the staff. We're doing conferences for the staff on how to improve their life and how to recognize certain things. So, you know, that goes you know hand in hand with our culture of trying to make employees' lives better, and that's one of the things that we're doing. Beyond that, and a big, heavy lift, I would say this is a five- to ten-year lift that ages is going through, is we want to stop using the words assisted living. We want to make Aegis into a more wellness-oriented organization so that people come to us to live, not to die. And we have all kinds of ideas and programs and people and so on that we're pivoting towards. And, you know, it's funny because, as in anything in, in operations, people say, well, what? Don't, notes, don't say that to people because some people will copy you. You know, I was, I was one of the first pioneers in the industry that put spas in assisted living. And, you know, we, we really thought this out. I mean, the type of essential oils we used, where we bought them from, you know, I mean, what kind of tubs to use for seniors that help with mobility, the perfect aromas that you have that promoted uh, seniors being awake and so on. Now, other people, I just toured a place a couple of weeks ago that said, oh, yeah, we have a spot in our community. I went in it and they have a loofah and a candle. Okay, but they they market it the same way we do that they we have a spa. Well, they have a loofah and a can and a battery-operated candle. That's not a spa. You know, you're trying to get the marketing boost without putting the thought or the effort into the execution. And I, I just bring up that parallel because I think the same thing will happen on wellness. People say, "Oh, well, we got a wellness program too." Well, do you have a gerontologist on staff? Do you have a scientist on staff that's looking for? the best aging things. I mean, those are the kinds of things that we're looking at doing. And it will separate us. And, and the book is foundational
0: for a lot of things that we do. And that's one of the reasons I wrote it. So you've traveled the world, you've written books. I'm curious, if you weren't in senior living, what do you see yourself doing?
1: Well, I do those things that I don't. I see self doing. I mean you know, one of the reasons I have a great president is so I can do the things that I'm really passionate about beyond running ages. So I have a foundation where I, where I mentor some of the top athletes in the country It's called the D1 Foundation. So these I have the number one football, high school football athlete in the nation for 2021. I have the top five receiver for this year. I have a you know, the top linebacker in the country. I mean, I've mentored these six boys and we meet on a regular basis. and We talk about life and values and, you know, social media and relationships and money and FICO scores and so on. So that's one of the things I do. We also have our own Clark Family Legacy Foundation. We have the Potato Soup Foundation for our employees. So we run multiple foundations. I also have a film company called True Productions where we make socially were the social justice movies and we've made i think five or six at this point we're about to embark on a civil war war movie and that's a true story and all these stories are true that's what makes them unique i'm about to do a documentary on an nfl football player so you know they have some great social impact and you know i have a play that has a reading on broadway that's been traveling That I co wrote that's a true story that has a reading in November on Broadway. We're trying to get that on Broadway. You know, I'm writing two more books one on how to deal with aging parents. It's called Where's My Purse. And the other one I told you about called The Seattle Secret on great, you know, service ideas for corporations. I'm very involved in the community in a variety of aspects. I mean, we just gave a million dollars to the homeless issue here in Seattle an organization called Plymouth Housing that helps homeless people. We have our own cafes called the, uh, the Queen Bee Cafes where we have three of them, we're building three more, where we give 100% of the profits away to charity from each of our cafes and they're kind of dedicated to my mother's life and so on. So, you know, we're busy. I'm a big collector of a variety of things. My wife and I travel a great deal. We love building and designing homes, so we live part- time in Italy. We have a home there and spend a lot of time, you know focus on other cultures. We support two orphanages in Italy, so we spend time there with with young boys and so on. so we're we have a busy life, and you know, I think if you read my book, you'll find that that's one of the things that make people live long. I just spent time with President Clinton here because of Chris, my president. In May, and I spent two and a half hours sitting with him one on one, talking about his life and his presidency. And he's 72, 73 years old now, and he was saying that, you know, not no man in his family has lived that long. And we talked about the fact that presidents have an uncanny way of living 15 to 18 years longer than their life expectancy. And I said, Do you know why that is? And He goes, Absolutely. It's because we have purpose. Mm. So purpose. Purpose is a big thing for for, uh, for people and longevity, and I plan on having purpose well into my
0: 90s. Now, and then by the way, Duane, this is, this is my last question for you today. So we've talked a lot today about how the senior living industry is changing and how Aegis is positioning itself for the future. I am curious, though, in the current term, is Aegis feeling any pain anywhere in terms of any industry – Headwinds, and also if Aegis is, how do you mitigate that? And what's the way forward for senior living? Well, I, I think there's always going to be industry headwinds. You got you
1: know crazy, senseless litigation that happens that you just go, oh God, this is this is so such a waste of time and money, and you know, and you kind of chalk it up for being part of part of the the way of doing business that's the biggest threat to the existence of our organization is finding great employees and where do you get them and how do you keep them and how do you train them and how do you develop them? That's, that's a big headwind. But the reality of the situation is, you know, we're all waiting for what's going to happen here in about seven, you know, six to seven years. When those baby boomers start hitting 80, there's not enough supply out there. There's just not enough supply. You know, Seattle Metro has about 50,000 People that move in every year. Now, you know, I will tell you, based on my own back of the napkin formulaic equation, a little less than one percent of that is assisted living qualified, about point eight percent. So, you know, you're looking at four hundred and fifty, four hundred and sixty units that should be built every year. I'm just talking Seattle. That should be built every year to accommodate that supply. That's not happening. There, there may be 100, maybe 200 units a year that are coming online. Well, what's going to happen is that supply is going to is going to grow and it's going to be compounded. And you know, the aggregate when those baby boomers hit, we're going to have a real negligent amount of supply in the marketplace to accommodate these people. So, are there headwinds? Sure, there's going to be headwinds, but it's not going to deter us from this market and to keep growing. I mean, we have. Over 500 million, probably at this point today, 600 million of, of development construction going on, and we we plan to accelerate that. And, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me in three years if we have a billion dollars of, of development construction going on. That's a lot of money. Uh, you know, most public companies don't have that kind of development construction going on. So we're we're bullish on the future, but as anything, you know, I, this is my. 33rd 34th year in this industry it's all about execution It's all about the team you have it's not not the idea or the fact they're baby boomers they'll let you overcome syndrome it's all about the execution of the idea and the people that you have on the on your team
0: to make that execution possible and that's that's how Aegis is different great well Dwayne, that does it for our time together today. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, I really appreciate it, and it was a pleasure talking with you. All right. Thanks so much. I hope this was useful for you. That does it for this episode of Transform. Don't forget to check out the SHN Architecture and Design Awards at shnawards.com. Project submissions are open until October 31st. I'm Tim Regan with Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.